last time I'll probably ever do that on this podcast. How sad. Uh, welcome to Estradi Illusions. The Game of Thrones finale is upon us, and we are here to talk about it. Got a great panel of guests to dissect all of the great moments from last night's episode, or mo- Sunday night's episode. There we go. Let's go with that. Uh, let's introduce our guests. But before that, I have a correction to uh, add from yet last week. I heard from Alexandra's next of kin that she had disappeared in the snap, but apparently that was an error because uh, she's here with us now. So that's great mm-hmm. to hear that she was only just in the quantum realm. And but that that also means for everybody listening, there's another Game of Thrones podcast for you guys to listen to besides this one. That's the only one until Sam's podcast gets off the ground. So that's certainly good. Uh, <laughs> do we want to introduce our guests? Yeah, um, I am the aforementioned Alexandra August. I co-host the Got Thrones podcast, and I also write for Screen Rant, Comic Book Resources, and Fandom. Uh, I'm Michelle Jaworski. I'm the Game of Thrones beat writer at The Daily Dot, and I don't have any podcasts to uh, upend the entire universe of (laughs) there only being two podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a very important in-universe thing michelle uh really appreciate that for continuity yeah uh my name is clint uh i am the author of laws and ice and fire.com you can also find me at westeros law on twitter or clint w on twitter yeah it's good to note that um there's actually a multiverse of game of thrones podcasts so um Maybe when Mysterio comes around to link all of it together, it'll make sense. But that's something that Bran may know a little thing or two about. Possible. We'll talk about we'll talk about him a little later because the at least the first half of this episode was all about Danny, our dear Danny, who met a a sad demise, in my opinion. I was, um, you know, we've only had a week to process what happened last week, which was kind of a. Not completely unexpected, but a, a drastic sort of heel turn. And now she, it was um, a very emotional, emotional moment. Yeah, it was, um, I come away, I've come away with this just with a great deal of sadness. I'm just sad for our girl who tried so hard and made it so far and lost so much only to eventually lose her life at the hands of like the most boring guy on the planet. Um, I don't like, I didn't, I I didn't really have an issue with her dying. Um, I thought it was kind of sweet how John did it. Um, and I thought the, I thought the scene was rendered beautifully. Um, but it's just, it's just really sad. Yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree with all of that. I, I thought that, um, you know, her, her sort of speech to start off her reign was uh, appropriately terrifying. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, oh, that shot of her in the doorway with oh the wardrobe. Yeah, I mean that's a that that one shot. You know, in in some ways, sort of justifies the existence of the entire show. Uh, it was uh, just astonishing and and so well done. Um, and you know, her speech to the Unsullied and to the Dothraki was uh, really uh, chilling. And you know, obviously designed to bring up all sorts of uh, totalitarian uh, I don't know imagery um, and so you know like I they they did visually like you said Alexandra they visually sold it to us um, definitely could have spent more time from a storytelling perspective uh, leading up to it 
but the way she was killed in the throne room, you know, by Ned Stark's, you know, quote unquote son, um, you know, it, it, it evoked Jamie killing Eris. It evoked, uh, um, you know, uh, all of these, these like really powerful, you know, the way that John held Danny evoked the way that he held Egret. Uh, she died. So they really went all in on the imagery and that it was really powerful. I, I'm, but I'm with you. I, I feel very sad for the character. I'm also sad that what I think could have been just a, you know, a, a Shakespearean level tragedy was kind of reduced to uh, a sort of, heel turn by the pacing of the show, but um, we got what we got with that. Yeah, my expectations were very managed going into this week. I definitely didn't leave this feeling disappointed. I was just kind of, I was happy for the moments that we got that were beautiful. Um, Uh, I also wanted to, um, you know, bring up, uh, because Brian Cogman, uh, executive producer, he wrote A Night at the Seven Kingdoms earlier this season. He brought up the Mm -hmm. idea that uh, Danny was just like Shakespearean and Greek tragic figure. And I think like one right before Drogon uh, flies in and kind of like burns everything down, there's this really big wide shot of John holding Danny. And I was like, this feels like it actually like we're actually watching a play like unfold. So I I did really like that. Uh, I will say uh, I agree with Clint that I think that they could have set this up better um, before before you know, we go to the throne room and it's the final conversation between John and Danny. You have John talking to Tyrion in prison for what feels like at least a good five minutes yeah. or so, you know, kind of going over Danny's entire arc. And I kind of wish they the show had spent any time showing us how Danny felt about things instead of having yeah. John and Tyrion kind of discuss this whole thing. Even if they had ultimately what? got to the same, gotten to the same conclusion of, okay, we need to kill Danny. That's a really good point. I hadn't considered like, just cause I've been sort of not really thinking about the feminist implications of this because it hurts <laughs> my heart. and makes me sad. Um, I, and so it, I just, yeah, I'm I, right I, there with you. Oh. It's a good point, though, because I, I, you know, the to bring up the the like the Bechdel test, I was thinking about how we got the speech from Danny, and then we got a whole lot of talking about Danny, and it was kind of a, you know, if you think about the role of writing, you know, show don't tell. Here, all these people are talking about this woman, and it turned out to be her final moment. She died kind of early in the episode, relatively, so it was weird that we had that long emotional scene with Tyrion and John that maybe could have been saved for later on a different subject. I mean, they've been through so much together as characters, but to set up Danny's final moment of her, you know, really her last big scene before she died of giving this speech in a different language to foreigners about not, it, it didn't, it was terrifying. It didn't sound a lot like they were having ended a war. They seemed like they were just kind of making a pit stop in King's Landing. I don't know. The whole thing felt a little weird. I think they were trying to give the impression that she really developed a taste for this kind of conquest and wants to, and was just like fully into her megalomania and wanting to basically like pinky in the brain, take over the world. And then you get the sense of like, she could fucking do it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know how much of this is uh, George's plan, but if it is, um, and you know, I think it's not unlikely that some part of it is, if not all of it, um, 
you know, th- that's probably his critique of American foreign policy. George is, you know, he's a hippie. He, you know, this is him saying yeah. that, you know, mm-hmm. just because we have good intentions doesn't mean shit. It, if we um, are like taking mm-hmm. over countries in order to enforce this, this idea of good. Um, and, you know, you, you saw the looks that passed between two, John and Tyrion when Danny mentions we're going to Winterfell, we're going to Dorne, we're going to Casterly Rock, you know, we're going to, I forget whichever place, other places she mentioned. Um, so, I mean, like, you know, there's no end to, you know, that imperial impulse. Um, and, and I think that that's to the extent that we're actually talking about like a meta commentary, I think that's what the idea is again, whether that's David and Dan or whether that's George, I I don't really know. Um, It sounds like George, but in David and Dan's fairly blunt, artless voice. Uh, But Um, I do want to like, like I loved the the conversation between John and Tyrion, if only because, you know, they, they talked about some real things, but I totally agree with, with uh, what Michelle said that, it would have been so much more powerful if we also got a companion conversation that Danny was involved in. But I guess, you know, the, the show had gone almost a full episode without a conversation with a Lannister brother in prison. So, you know, they needed to check that off. <laughs> um, I mean, we got, I don't know how many of them uh, throughout the run of the show. It's just, uh, I guess they had to do one more for old time's sake. It was to see Grey Worm kind of start to attack the Lannister troops last episode. And then, you know, obviously he kind of felt like he was going off Danny's lead on that. But just not to have it, it might have been nice to have had a scene between Daenerys and Grey Worm, maybe when they kind of think about the friends they've made along the way <laughs> and how those people who, who weren't there with them would feel about that. I, I just we, we, we had the emotional Missandei Grey Worm scenes up in King's Landing He's we we've seen a, a man in grief, but we haven't. He hasn't. He hasn't. He needs to talk it out with somebody. I mean, maybe he did by the end of the episode, but uh, it was. I it just obviously it's going to be abrupt, but it, it felt a little extra abrupt because of that. Um, I think the show wanted to sell kind of the the surprise of of John killing Danny because it's just. You know, it's the woman he loves. He's pushing back Tyrion like up until the last, like the minute John leaves the the cell that they're they're in, and you know, there's even this kind of weight of what if John goes this way? What if John goes that way? Um, I can definitely see that maybe not ha- um, kind of expanding those conversations sets up the you know I know this word gets overused a lot the spectacle of well, one of the show's main protagonists just killed the other. Like, that's a huge thing. Yeah. But when you have, you know, all everyone kind of, you know, seeing what happened last week, and be like, well, she's going to die. It's just a matter of who. Like, not even based off spoilers, just based off she she crossed the line. Somebody, need, like, needs to take her yeah. out. She definitely didn't feel like this episode's protagonist. She's a protagonist of the entire series. Yeah, yeah that's what I meant there. The the series protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, it's just sad. I think everybody in the beginning, when we started talking about it, it's... Uh, I, I'll miss Danny. I, I, I feel for Amelia Clark, maybe... And it, people have made a joke about all the yeah, people yeah. who named their kids Khaleesi, <laughs> about how they must, how they must f- feel now. But um, especially for Amelia Clark or just people who have been following the show. Now we've it's it's I mean, I 
the people who really support Stannis all kind of joke about it because, you know, when he burned Shireen, you, you kind of, the, the curtains pulled out. You're like, okay, this guy's maybe not the greatest Possible. guy in the world. Possible, yes. Kind of a laughing stock. But, um, yeah, to have that happen, Danny got kind of Stannis in that regard. Now the Danny like fans for the rest of the time will have to be like, well, maybe this won't happen this way in the books. And it probably will. Yeah, I fully like that's really I think one of the reasons that I haven't been that I've kind of come full circle on the whole Danny thing is that it reads remarkably like George. I, I think this is 100 percent the way he's going to go. Exactly. Like we said before, I don't know if it's exactly how he's going to get there, but I think it's very pointed and a very Martin like statement to make. And yeah, sorry. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, you know, I, I, I think that there's a lot of things that have to be different just by the way, you know, the books have left, but, um, the broad brushstrokes of this, um, of this finale, basically with maybe one major change or, or significant change, I think that's all George, you know, um, I'm not sure that Tyrion makes it out of the books. That's the one where I'm like, I think that he's probably got, yeah. um, going to get his comeuppance, um, because he's going to be, he's a much darker character. I was really surprised when he survived. I'd actually read, um, I listened to, I'd heard a leak, um, ages ago that said the series ended with him, that the last scene they shot was him being beheaded in the dragon pit. And so in the back of sure. my mind, and it yeah. sounded it sounded plausible. So in the, in the back of my mind, I was like, that, 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 make, that makes sense. Like, he has a thankless job. He probably did some, he probably sacrificed himself in order to make a new world and is fine dying for it. Um, so I was, yeah, I was pretty surprised to see him, like, yeah. get promoted and get his dream job. Do you, do we... Do we think that Robin Aaron is going <laughs> to look as good in the books as she did in that episode? Well... <laughs> up probably not. that is some neville longbottom shit right there i mean I'm, I'm very happy for for everyone who just discovered i mean so did i so i'm not like trying to, to kind of say hey i knew this before everyone else but it, it's just a nice thing that everyone can bond over of oh hey this really weird kid is hot now and i'm oh, not a kid he's an adult but you know what i mean <laughs> It seems like just yesterday he was still on, uh, you know, Tormund talked <laughs> yeah. about the breast milk and Lysa Aaron. She was doing her best as a mother and maybe she was onto something. You know, another crime of Littlefinger was if he hadn't killed Lysa when he did, maybe Robin Aaron would be even hotter than it's he is. possible. Had. More milk, right? Oh, that was, a gross, <laughs> that was an extremely gross joke to make. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was leaving it there. <laughs> God, you guys remember remember the first time we went to the Vale of Aaron and how strange and creepy it was. And then all of a sudden, like I read the books beforehand and like just reading the line about sweet Robin like suckling at his mother's breast and then seeing it, and it's just like, oh and the woman who plays Lysa, whose name I forget, is just so good Kate, at Kate Diggy, Diggy, hanging yes. out of her. Yeah. She's so good at hanging on to her sanity like a thread with a thread. Yeah, I liked her a lot. I, I like Lysa a lot. We defended uh, in the Women of Ice and Fire uh, podcast we did with Chloe of Girls Gone Canon. We gave Lysa a good section of uh, just kind of understanding some of the positions she had taken. And it looks like she did a good job. Her son is uh, grown up to be a fine chap. I hope he could have uh, would have been maybe nice to see him get the throne. But I don't think that was probably in. <laughs> George R. R. Martin's plan. They would have thought that Robin Aaron <laughs> would survive Game of Thrones. Yeah. I I I don't know. I I think George 
George has his uh, people he likes to put through the ringer. I, I I thought about that one a while. People would always, you know, it's it's like a it's like a Reddit meme to, that Sweet Robin's going to be on the Iron Throne. So I've I've kind of like tried to think about all of the ways, <laughs> yeah, all the ways that he hasn't that he that he wouldn't die. And I mean, the show just kind of handled it, it. The kind of the best way to to not die is to be off screen, right? We got, we got, maybe we got Quentin Martell. It was, do we know who the Dornish person was? We don't. Well, let's go with Quentin. I don't think he got a name. I called him Oberyn Light and I was taking notes yeah. during the episode, but that's all I've got. He, I mean, that scene in particular, I really liked. As soon as Sansa said the sit down Edmer, I kind of laughed because I was thinking to myself, <laughs> what are the odds that Sansa has actually met Edmer? We don't really know. I mean, maybe they met beforehand. But um, there was the sit-down uncle, and it's like, Sansa probably doesn't know who this dude is, but um, it's nice to see Frank Randall back, um, mm-hmm. Tobias Menzies. But, uh, I love that Edmure Tully has not changed one goddamn bit either. No, he was, uh, he's, he's true, to, true to the end. I like his character. I can't read the room. Yeah. yeah, I like Edmure as well. He's awkward, but that's okay. Uh, he yeah, tries at least, you know. Um, he tried. He's just the Ali's fail son, and you know it happens uh, to the best of us sometimes. He failed upwards uh, to survive. Yep. Years of imprisonment by the phrase, and then like the entire Frey massacre by Arya back in season seven. Yeah. Did she? I, I guess she must have rescued him because he doesn't get sent to where he gets sent to the Westerlands in the books. I think he gets like, right. Not really. It sounds weird to say, I was about to say he was fostered, but he's a grown man, but, um, his kid would be fostered because they, they honored his marriage, I guess. Um, that was, uh, that was fun. I was sad that the blackfish died in the show. Uh, so oh, yeah, that, that scene in particular, I'm like, you know, if, if he had lived, it would have been great to see him there, but the way they, yeah, yeah the way they framed that was fun. I, I liked that scene. You, you sit there wondering, like, is this really all the houses that are there? But, um, you know, they could have uh, they they were just trying to make sure there weren't more water bottles visible in the shop. <laughs> what did you guys all think of the the Great Council? Like as a concept, as a storytelling concept, I thought it was a little pedestrian, but it was the kind of I needed Game of Thrones to try and literally change yeah. the game. At the end of it, like that was that was the like that would have been my fuck you moment with the show is if they had just sat John or Bran on the Iron Throne and that was it. And it's like, no, it's gonna be fine now. I think I've mentioned that before. So yeah, I thought it was a little bit obvious and not I don't know if that's the right word, but I didn't hate it. I also think it's like a little bit too idealistic for the show, but I think we're better for having this kind of council than not having it. It definitely brings a lot of different perspectives in into it, which I feel like Westeros kind of have been lacking at that point because you always just had the king or the queen and maybe like two or three people that they trusted and then like a larger small council. But it always felt just so insular, if that makes sense. Yeah, like the ruling of the Seven Kingdoms. uh, Whereas, you know, at least with the, the Great Council, you have people from all over the place kind of deciding like yeah. what happens next, even if it kind of goes the way you expect it or, Oh, here's the status quo, but with magic now or something like that. Right. Yeah. I, 
Yeah. I mean, well, for me, I loved that scene. Um, in a way, I felt like I said this on Twitter. There, I felt like it was written for me and only me. In a way, because <laughs> I, I had spent so much time uh, over the past couple of months writing about Varys's riddle and writing about the Great Council of of One Hundred One AC and and all of this stuff. And and so uh, I would, Alexander, I, I felt the same way that if they didn't do something that would explain how government would work going forward that I was going to be very let down. And so they, they made that attempt. They, they wrote the scene in where it was essentially like, you know, all the assembled Lords were, it was like a constitutional convention or they were doing a, uh, like kind of ad hoc social contract for this new King that some people opted into and some people opted out of. Um, and as a government nerd, I really re- responded to that. I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is like, you know, Samuel Tarley is like the James Madison of Westeros. And here we are. And, uh, um, I, I, I loved that scene. Um, and I really appreciated it. Um, I think that, you know, it, it, in retrospect, uh, you know, after I got, you know, a little bit of distance from the, the episode and maybe sobered up a little bit, stopped crying or whatever, um, <laughs> Uh, I was like, well, it, they really could have done this in a much more, much less hand-handed way. You know, like go to Heron Hall, do like have, you know, various claimants that that uh, assert, you know, here's why I should be the king, and or here's why I should be the queen, um, and then have a, you know, have some debate about it. Um, that would have been amazing uh, on a different level. But I was so glad that we got it. Um, I didn't mind that it ended up being Bran. I loved that Sansa said, you know what? Cool. We're, we're, we're out. We're done. Uh, yeah. Like the North will remain independent. Um, and you know, because I was, I was a little bit surprised that, you know, the iron islands didn't do that too, but like, or Dorn or Dorn. Not that, not that they would have at that moment, in the show, but just from a right. broader. Right. No, but like, you, you, Basically, from that from Sansa's perspective, it's like the Iron Throne doesn't have the the men, manpower or to subjugate the North again. So why the fuck do we like buy into whatever this is going to be? We're we're fine on our own. So I love that. That was what. Um, I'm sorry. I, that was what frustrated me a lot, like a few episodes ago, about Danny. Um, not giving in to Sansa and just giving the North its freedom. Because even Danny with a bunch of dragons wouldn't have been able to hold that territory. And the North is so underpopulated at this point because everyone's dead. It doesn't really pose much of a threat. So it always, that was a sticking point for me that I was just like, just give her the North. Just do it. Like you don't have it anyway. You don't control it anyway. Any control that you think you have is illusory. And it only relies on the fact that Jon Snow trusts her, if at all, which... You know, yeah. if they ever found out that he was a Targaryen, might not last as long. So, yeah, the way the way they picked Bran reminded me a lot of both uh, of how both Rob and John were appointed. It was kind of like you, you, you're in a big room and nobody's really thrown out a great option, and then they get nominated, and everybody it's like a trial by and uh, not trial, just ele- election by like shouting contest almost. Kind of how um, very early American. Uh, Elections were held out in like open squares and stuff, right. where whoever whoever kind of got the ball rolling had a 
big leg up. I mean, the big question with Bran that I that I, I've had, and if you're listening, uh, if you've been following our recaps, I always pose this question that we don't really know what Bran knows, and then I always move off it because we can. You could you could spend each week talking. It's it's like the suitcase in Pulp Fiction. You could just spend infinite time talking about something that you're never going to learn the answer to, and we will never learn the answer to it. But the fact that now Bran is king, I, I haven't, you know, it hasn't been enough time to think about the implications of that for episodes four and five. We joked about how, uh, why didn't Bran warn them about the Iron Fleet at Dragonstone or about the burning, but the whole sort of notion of like the philosopher king flying is, is just the fact that a philosopher king wouldn't want to be king. Right. And they kind of, they, they really set that up with Bran, but a variable that that Plato never really dealt with in the Republic was what if a philosopher king who didn't want the throne also kind of went about life knowing that he was going to get it anyway? How does that change? You know, he intervenes in the battle against the dead, helps sort of draw up their strategy, and then tells nobody what Danny's going to do. And but do we know if Bran can see the future though? We don't. I, I didn't I, think that. He I could. mean, oh, okay. Well, he. We know very little about what he knows. So I guess in that regard... We've seen a few glimpses of it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because he's had like visions and stuff. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, so he saw the uh, the Septibale orb exploding. He, you know, there was that... It, yeah, the and famous uh, vision of, Dro- uh, of a dragon shadow over King's Landing, which we now know is Drogon. Uh, and I think he knew... Or at least it's implied he knew. I don't know how how much stock you take into like you know post episode interviews and that whole thing. I think it's um, at least like somebody has said that Bran knew what he was doing when he gave Arya the cat's ball dagger, right? And what she would do with it. Yeah, I mean it's there's so much that we don't know, and there's so much that we have to kind of formulate theories. I just. You know, when it comes to when it comes to power, it's such a tricky concept that you just have to wonder where Bran's head is at. If he knows he's going to be king and he knows this is like the, you know, like the Doctor Strange one in 14 million route to get there. Does he pick that option over another one? And it's 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 just it's something it's something we could have endless speculation on. So it's not really a major focus, but I just the, the the implications of Bran as like a morally good character, I think, are are, are very much up in the air. I, I don't know what to make of it yet. I think that that's right, but I think that Bran is, if not a necessarily a morally good character, like the notion is, is that he's the best choice to rule because he you know, has sort of the, the powers that he has. And I also appreciated how Tyrion said he's the best choice because he has the best story. Now, I don't necessarily agree that he has the best story, but whatever. They were actually thinking about, okay, the people will accept this guy. Um, and that's, you know, kind of the foundation of Varys' riddle is that power resides where men believe it resides. So the people have to believe in whoever this person is. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that it's, an, it's a fascinating question as to whether or not he's morally good um, I, I think that it from probably from the show's certainly from the show's perspective and probably from George's perspective, I don't think it matters. 
if that makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, I think that's sort of, I think that's kind of an interesting just meta statement on the show to begin with. I wrote a, a piece for Screen Rant last week about how it really doesn't, I mean, it matters to a degree, but morality sure. in Game of Thrones has never been directly connected with efficacy. So, yeah, yeah like the idea. True. Yeah. So, like, I, I like the fact that the idea of brand's morality is sort of a non issue because really the important thing is, like, that's not the best qualifier for him to be a good, that's not going to tell us anything about what kind of ruler yeah, he'll be or how successful he will or he won't be. Well, there's, the, there's that. And then there's also the, you know, they, they, singled out succession by birth as a bad idea, which is obviously uh, true. America doesn't have, no country really has that anymore, uh, at least in the first world sense. But um, it, it begs the question of, of crises of secession. What happens when people can start really jockeying for power? And it's not a, it's not a, that's not a perfect system either. I, I mean, like Clint, I, I could have seen them. They could have just done a great council episode oh and I would have been happy watching them kind of <laughs> talk about just all like, the machinations of government. I, I, I could uh, imagine what the yeah. tr- Twitter discourse Funny. would have been, but I just would have been sitting there going like, this was perfect. <laughs> I loved it so much. He cited the <laughs> They talked about <laughs> like the popular sovereignty and whatnot. <laughs> I also wonder uh, what the implications of Bran being a three-eyed raven would would do and be on, you know, kind of like the whole, you know, future of of the throne, the throne that we never see since. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned it before, but Drogon kind of mounts the old <laughs> yeah, one. He's done. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. I've been describing it as like lava goo, <laughs> a very you know scientific sure. description. And so melted, melted Valerian. I don't think I don't think it was Valerian. It was just the swords of Aegon's enemies, um, and he okay. allowed uh, the people who bent the knee to keep their swords. It was the ones who who didn't bend the knee and were defeated. Yeah, right. Okay. I try to look up a listing of like whose swords it it was, but I don't think George has ever delineated it. It's, it's just the it, people that he yeah, defeated. It's, uh, uh, it's from the Field of Fire, yeah. and also from the other, um, yeah, like Heron yeah, Hall, exactly. and so I guess coated in iron, maybe. Uh, but uh, backtracking just a second, uh, we don't know how long Bran w- is going to rule. Like. Like now that he's three eyed Raven, is he going to have a long life or is he going to live out the rest of his life like nor- everybody else? And he's also, I, I know ages are kind of a tricky thing. And the fact that Game of Thrones had, you know, like HBO's UK account had to tweet out, the, you know, a reminder that Arya was 18 before uh, they had an episode that featured a sex scene with Arya and Gendry. Um, and Bran's younger than Arya, so. Oh, you know, shit, like he he's, you know, what, maybe that. 16 or, or 17. He could rule for like, right. you know, 80, 90 years, hypothetically, you know, if we're going by, you know, regular human life standards and assuming that he lives as long as someone like Maester Eamon. At the at the very mm-hmm. least, or if he's a Red Raven, he could be around even longer because what I think uh, Brandon Rivers and in, in the books, by the time we meet him, he's well over what, 150 yeah. years old yeah. at least. Yeah. yeah. So by the time that, you know, Bran Stark first of his name, uh, 
I am not a fan of Brand the Broken. Yep. Just gonna put that out there real quick. No, that'd no. be terrible. Yeah. Yeah, poor branding. <laughs> like, like poor guy. Uh, but by the time he dies, hypothetically, everyone who appointed him could be dead, and you know the people who are are there to pick the next king or queen might just say, "Screw this, we're gonna go." To, like we all want the, want the throne, we're gonna go to war. So we could, you know, in a few generations, we might have the same exact problem that we just solved. However, imperfectly. Yeah, that, that's the inherent problem with an electoral monarchy. And to the extent that those have ever happened, that's what we saw. I mean, it kind of had that in ancient Rome. Um, but yeah, just a, every couple of generations or every generation, you had a, a civil war, um, you know, just for fun, for funsies. Work out the kinks. Let out some of this energy. Guys, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, he he has all that, and he can live a long time. Uh, I mean, there, there, there. we said this in the preview podcast, uh, Netflix will probably do a revival in 15 years. They'll have all the actors on green screens talking to each other. Uh, no, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, it, it'd be interesting to see what would happen with... Uh, brand down the road or with john because john is uh we don't really know what the deal with the night's watch is but there's action at castle black he's moving north maybe he's going to be the new king of the north uh he get he got a pet ghost a lot of fun stuff there i think i mean people have been wondering why um like of what use the night's watch is anymore and yeah. i feel like they learned exactly yeah. what good use the night's watch is just by the events of game of thrones like if you think the night king is dead he might not be dead please man the wall yeah absolutely and you know they it has its use like in a from a social con- context like it's used as a penal colony it's used as this place to stash you know third yeah. and fourth sons that you don't want uh basically to guard the northern northern border border. uh but yeah like i i understand that the night king you know was killed and so people are like oh there's no more threat but like you know there's snarks there's grumpkins there's still there's still ice spiders spiders, it's important it's important to keep uh are they gonna fix the hole in the wall are they gonna make like a drive-through there (laughs) that's a good question basically like a toll like uh yeah that's a good idea but like an Arby's at the, at the <laughs> break, break, Arby's break so between well. Beyond the Wall and East Watch. Yeah, in and out. They could do a lot there. there that 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 space. I mean, if they're gonna, uh, you know, the the biggest the biggest loser of this episode was unfortunately balkanization because uh, I was I was hoping to see the Seven Kingdoms broken up. I thought that was exactly where they were headed. I don't see why Dorne needs King Bran. I don't see why the Reach with its uh, with Lord Bronn guarding over it as master of coin why they need bran or would want bran or uh any of those people but we didn't get balkanization which is very upsetting sort of yeah i really wanted uh like a total devolution of power uh into you know sort of separate states but (sighs) at least Arya lived (laughs) and sansa's the queen in the north so i can't complain about anything yeah yeah and Jundry looked delicious. <laughs> Jundry did look delicious. Good looking kid. Mm-hmm. Cleans up nice. Who do we think is hotter, Gendry or Sweet Robin? Sweet Robin. Oh man, Gendry. What about Sir Patrick Payne? 
Just gonna throw that one out there. Ooh. Why Rod. is why is Sir Podrick Payne a member of the King's Guard and not aiding Lord uh, Lady Serbrian Br- of the Queen's Guard? That's a question that people have been wondering. That I mean, I guess we kind of know why they had the. Um, I forgot. Okay, so did Brienne stay in King's Landing? Or did she go back yeah. up with Sansa? She's part of the small council. Uh, oh, that's and right. The yeah, Lord Commander of the sure. King's Guard. Okay. Um, and then fills uh, or finishes Jamie's book or entry in the uh, the White Book. No. I'm reading a bunch of tweets um, about what Brienne was writing or like just that whole event. And one of them is just like, Brienne. Jamie is the nastiest skank bitch I've ever met in the Seven Kingdoms. Do not trust her. She's a ugly slut. <laughs> Good. Very good. I sat there and I was thinking to myself, you know, the the scene where Jamie discovers it after he uh, returns to King's Landing in a feast for crows, and he finished. He looks through, and <clears throat> I, I just kept thinking about the the mechanics of the White Book. Like, does Gregor Clegane get a page? Uh, does Jamie's chapter include the fact that, like Sir Barristan, he was also dismissed from the King's Guard? I mean. It was a mo- the the show framed it as a beautiful scene. So for people who aren't nitpicky Scrooges sitting there watching, uh, it probably I, I I I enjoyed it. I was just sitting there thinking to myself, I really hope the poor mountain doesn't get cheated out of. I his think life. that at least in the books, uh, Barrison Selmy goes and finishes his his book before he leaves. Yes, right. I don't think it says explicit in the show. It's a very Barrison Selmy <laughs> thing to do. I feel like yeah, it's the most so not your death. He did a lot. His whole exit was very Sir Barristan. Just leaving his sword, going up there, peacing out. Not not going home because he doesn't want to get them in trouble. Yeah, I, I think that the reason why Brienne and Potter in King's Landing is because they needed to do that scene, period. Um, yeah. And it, right. it, it would have left us all... If, if they didn't do that scene, if they... We all would have been like, well, shit, why didn't you fill out his his page in the white book. Um, so I think that's it. You know, it's, it's just a storytelling device. Yes. She should have gone with Sansa and pod should have also gone with Sansa, but they didn't. And we got that. The we got that nice scene and there. all those good memes. So, you know, I'm fine with Brienne having a more like interesting life in King's landing, like bless her heart, but she did not need to be in service to Santa star for the rest of her natural born life. And she's also a knight of the seven kingdoms. And that's like part of her title, and the North isn't part of the, the of the now you know six kingdoms as they call it. Even though I believe there are nine different kingdoms that make up Westeros. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, a good know, point. yeah, like the math isn't quite there for uh, everybody, like in universe. That's a really good point. I forgot about that. Well, especially because I guess I, I guess the Riverlands wouldn't be considered part of the original. Seven Kingdoms, but you had Edmer featured. Prom- maybe the Iron, maybe the Iron Islands was like an iffy thing, and then Dorne was always like an outlier because they only joined because of marriage, yeah, not because they were ever conquered. Right. It's a good. Uh, it's a good question. I, I mean, with episodes, it, almost like with finales in general, they tend to work better if you don't sort of. There, it's always going to be kind of a messy thing to land a really good... I mean, there's so few really great TV finales that are so memorable. People are still talking about the 16-under finale 
15 years later. Oh, Star Trek The Next Generation. All good things. Um, it's hard. Just talked about that today. Yeah. Yeah, people love, you know, it's hard to do a finale. So to have these moments that are maybe, you know, for book readers, difficult. There, there's things that can light up Twitter about, you know, what what are the Seven Kingdoms, all of that. But I think I think from a, um, you know, if you take a step back and look at the scope of the episode, it was it was effective. It, it wasn't it wasn't like a, people are comparing it really to like Lost as a finale. I think that's unfair. I don't yeah. think, I don't think it was that polarizing. I mean, maybe maybe I'm just accepting the fact that we had sort of a, a truncated season, but. It, it, it's so difficult to pull off a finale. I'm thinking to myself, I didn't want to throw anything at the TV, so that's a win. That's yeah. I, I overall, I really liked this episode, but I acknowledge that you know there are legit reasons why other why people would not like it. Um, you know, there are as with any other episode in the last two seasons, there are plot holes that you can drive a truck through. But it's like, well, yeah. this is the show we've got, guys. It's sort of like a- so you know. Um, yeah, it's sort of, at this point, my little brother just keeps texting me. He's like absolutely gobsmacked that I liked it. And he's just like, this entire season is garbage. And I was like, well, then you should have lowered your expectations before right. it ended. They told you for five episodes what this was going to be. You should have lowered your expectations to the floor. You would have had a much better time. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, we can still, we can whine and be frustrated about how truncated it was and how badly that affected the pacing, but these are all the same problems they've had all season. And I just like, at the end of the day, after accepting that and just accepting that this is what it was going to be, it made it much more, much easier to enjoy. And I'm yeah, like one of those people who read spoilers beforehand. Yeah, I, I know I'm bad mate, <laughs> but so... So I have known that a lot of the things in the finale and you know, there was always a little iffiness, you know, the whole, you know, like the reports that there were going to be, you know, they filmed multiple endings to the show, you know, they were always out there. So there, you know, there's conflicting things, but, you know, so I've been sitting with the, you know, John kills Danny, Bran ends up ruling Westeros, you know, Sansa becomes queen in the North, Arya goes West, like that sort of, like all of that. I've been sitting on that for at least a couple of weeks now, so... Like I've had time to process it on my own and, you know, not in real time with everybody else on the internet, which I think has helped me enjoy it a little bit more, you know, not advocating uh, go search for spoilers if that's not something you don't want to do. But if you're open to the idea and there is this possibility of, you know, big disappointment coming from your, ex- you know, something like your expectations might be something to consider next time we have something anywhere remotely like this. Like, I think I enjoyed the episode more because I knew what I was getting into and I wasn't really surprised by anything. I've been asked this question a lot by um, other journalists lately because I've been doing some interviews and they keep wondering kind of why is the show so popular? Like, what is it about this show? And I think first dragons. Yep. I mean, Well, I think it's interesting because it kind of led me to the idea that this is a lot of people's first experience with like standing something this hard and loving things like geeks love things, which is just really, really hard and intense. And I feel like a large portion of the populace is very unprepared for how hard you can love something and how much it can disappoint you. 
and how to sort of like, I feel like I created these mental boundaries in high school when I like was virtually incredibly depressed when Chakotay and Seven got together on Star Trek Voyager. And that was the finale that I did the series. I reacted to it so, so, so badly. And at a certain point I was like, this is maybe not healthy and was able to sort of, was it? No, it was that bad. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was, it was that it bad. Was offensive. I um, yeah, but, uh, but I wonder if there's a, if this is a lot of people's like first foray into this kind of love of a subject and are realizing like the kind of mental gymnastics you need to do in order to just keep yourself sane when it disappoints you. Because I know we have a lot, you know, an entire generation who grew up on Harry Potter and the last book, or at least the, the epilogue of the last book disappointed a lot of people you know, in different ways or like, oh, well, they just became their parents in the end you know, to the point where you have people who don't even acknowledge the epilogue's existence. They're like, that never happened. Jeez. You know, for as far as their like mental enjoyment of mm-hmm. it goes, obviously they're like, it's on the page, you know, it exists. I just choose not to acknowledge or you know, engage with this thing. Um, and I think, you know, for, you know, for that generation, you know, the people who, who watched Lost, and that was the first major TV show that I experienced, like in the way that people have with Game of Thrones. And you know, I love the Lost finale; like it hit like all those emotional sweet spots for me. I think I'm not as gung ho or like sold on the Game of Thrones finale as I was with Lost, but I still like a lot of things about it. Yeah, so it's it's definitely interesting. And right before we started recording this, I went on Facebook for like the first time since. You know, before, you know, doing the whole finale coverage, you know, sprint and seeing just everybody reacting of like, oh, my God, this is terrible. And it's truncated. And then somebody was saying, you know, anybody who is disappointed about like the speed and the pacing has never experienced like the last season of an anime before (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just so interesting that we have all these people who are coming at these different perspectives and levels of a fandom and engagement and, you know, coming in is, you know, it's like game of Thrones. You have like the book fans who are coming in with this one perspective. You have the people who just watched the show. You have people who are just so emotionally attached to these characters. And, you know, especially with Danny fans, like I, I feel like so much for them, you know, cause we've, I think all have been there to an extent of a character that's dis, you know, uh, you know, something that's happened that's upset you or maybe disappointed you just so much, you know, or like you didn't like the direction that the show was going. And it's just so intense because everywhere you look, it's Game of Thrones. There's billboards in Times Square. It's on, it's on your TV all the time. You have, you know, like the cast are now, you know, and much of the cast are now household names, you know, except for the people who don't know how to spell uh, Harrington, but... <laughs> It's a daily struggle. <laughs> it is. And it, it's just, yeah. And, and, you know, part of the reason I think like this last season has been so divisive, you have so many people all over the world. I think uh, HBO said that 19 million people watched the series finale last night or over wow. 19. And it's, it's like the, and went to, you know, people, ta- you know, Italian like worldwide and, you know, throughout the week, like it's just going to grow more. And, you're going to have people who watched this sort of intensity unfold in real time, not knowing what's going on and kind of say, I want to start that. I want to, and they can binge the entire series. So it's, 
might not ever be like this level ever again, but you know, people are going to discover Game of Thrones and then we're going to be able to relive those aspects. Yeah. It's going to be really, really cool to see. And you know, we might still have some red wedding reaction videos to put up, even though that's a pretty, uh, a pretty like standard uh, reference now that right. politicians make very badly. Right. <laughs> exactly. It, it's funny you mentioned Lost because um, with regard to all of that, you know, uh, as somebody who watched Lost pretty much from like the first to the second episode, uh, how, how big or, or how painful it was when every season ended on a cliffhanger and you had to wait the months and then they had the, you know, the later seasons, you'd have to wait even longer because they would come back in the winter and... Then when Netflix comes around and people can binge the entire show in two weeks, you're sitting there going, good God, you, you, you watched the show differently from me. And with a show that's as big as Game of Thrones, yeah, they're, 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 I'm, I'm resigned to the fact that my opinion on the finale now is not going to be my opinion of it in five years versus, you know, there's plenty of shows I kind of feel the same way about years later. And that's okay. I mean, The Sopranos had that, People, if the internet was what it was back when The Sopranos went off the air, I mean, you just have a billion. I mean, there were a billion think pieces on how off, like how horrible, how the cutting to black, and I mean, the only crime was really having "Don't Stop Believing" at the end. But um, <laughs> it, it, I think it's aged very well. I enjoy. I watched the finale uh, a couple months ago with a friend, and I'm like, yeah, this 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 is a better finale than people gave it credit for. And I, I people could feel that way about Game of Thrones. I've loved this season. Euron is a breakout star for me <laughs> in season eight. I've loved him. I had a lot of fun with a lot of the, you know, characters getting the spotlight who hadn't had it before. Always be grateful that Ser Jorah met his nice demise. That's right. Always cool. have always have that. Uh, yeah, um, Joanna Robinson posted on Twitter earlier today um, a, a snippet from the original pitch letter that David and Dan sent to HBO about the show. And it was astonishing to read because it was like, you know, they're like, oh, it's we can't lose because George is going to map everything out for us. It, you know, we've got these books. There's no way we'll catch up with them. George is going to finish them. And all we got to do is finish what George writes, um, you know. And obviously that didn't happen, right? Like they didn't go in thinking, well, we're going to have to finish George's story and everybody's going to hate us for the rest of our lives because we fucked it up. Uh, they went in thinking George is going to do it. And all we got to do is make a good show. Um, and, and, you know, that's not to necessarily pardon uh, David and Dan for whatever sins that they have, but like, it's important to note that nobody went into this thinking this was how it would turn out. Nobody, yeah. including George. Yeah. And so, um, I think, you know, kind of what, what Michelle was saying was, was right on. You have all these people coming at it from all of these different perspectives. Um, and it's, it's a divisive finale for a number of different reasons. Um, I actually had, a, you know, two friends who both read, uh, the books well before I did. They both watched the show. Uh, they both texted me right after the, the show. One of them fucking loved it and I loved it. And the other one fucking hated it. And like both responses are totally valid. Um, you know, like there's, it's not like, you can watch this and be like, no, if you don't like this, um, you're, you're dumb. It's not like the Dexter finale where if you like it, you're an, idiot, uh, like, you're an absolute uh. like garbage person. This is a, this is an art that's designed to be divisive and you're going to get that, 
Um, but I totally agree with you, Ian, that, that like, um, how I feel about it now is, is almost certainly not how I'm going to feel about it in the future. Ask me again in 10 years as, as to, we'll come back. We'll come back in 10 years and do a a follow-up. I'll put it in my calendar. Sounds good. I do know one thing, like I need a fucking break after this. I don't want the long night for another three years. Like just keep it away from me. I can't, I'm so emotionally exhausted. It's ridiculous. I feel that. I'm already thinking about the shows that I can just watch for fun now. I'm, you know, just, just as a like a, a fever dream of, or a dream of spring of, oh my God, I don't have to think critically about this. I can just watch Villanelle kill people <laughs> in great outfits. Yes. It's become such a production. I mean, we're obviously in a unique position being on the only one of two Game of Thrones podcasts uh, right now to talk about it. But there's, you know, there's all these people writing or... Uh, performing uh, corner productions, just improv groups, just, you know, like troop, local traveling troubadours performing. Sure. Because it's only podcast. Yeah. And, and everybody's been putting out so much content. It, it is refreshing to not, I mean, I, I, I'll, next, next Monday, I'll probably organize a couple of stuffed animals with microphones around my office and pretend to record <laughs> another episode. No, I'm kidding. I'll do that maybe tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it is, it is, this is a cultural moment that's passed and, uh, all the people having, you know, it's millions and millions of people watch something. They're going to have different reactions, but, um, it, it, it is kind of a relief in a weird way that this, uh, long journey is, uh, over, even though I think, you know, we, we would obviously want, we want to see what happens with Arya or we, you know, we want to know that these characters are going to be okay. But the show did a good job at the end, especially of kind of in that those montages of doing that, of really saying, you know, this isn't the end for these people. They're going to go and they're going to do other great things. We're just not going to see it until HBO has an Arya spinoff mm-hmm. or a, a Game of Thrones story, and we're going to figure out we're going to go back and learn more about Arya getting needle and doing the Kessel Run. <laughs> That's what, um, it was so funny, like, her, like, going off into the, um, into the West really reminded me of Battlestar Galactica and how oh, I yeah. died. Oh, yeah. was just like, I'm gonna go away now and be alone for the rest of my life. Goodbye forever, Yeah, that, that's like, so weird. Yeah, and then Arya basically just tells John she's not coming back to Westeros. Like, girl, why? Like, no, let's stop. Just go. No. I, I don't know. Stuff like that kind of gets under my skin because it's like, you obviously, you could 100% come back to Westeros. Yeah. In my head canon, she stops into Storm's End every now and then for, you know, just to visit Gendry, just to say hi. I'll yeah. yeah. On the reg. <laughs> like every couple of, couple of months. Is anybody else sad that, you know, we had the end scene with the three, the three Stark children, their Targaryen cousin, and unfortunately, for some reason, they left out their Aaron cousin also. <laughs> I would have liked for... Uh, Sweet Robin to just kind of awkwardly be standing in the corner. <laughs> that would that would have been great. Um, I wanted like one more really awkward moment from Sweet Robin, just some weird from him. Sad that he was quiet. Somebody else to make him fly. What if he had seen Drogon and said, "Ah, there he finally." I'm gonna make him fly. Like like he he goes to high five Sansa and she just turns and walks away. Something like that. You know, she just leaves him hanging. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that would have been. Fun. I did love the, 
the montage, the closing montage, um, you know, it gave us, uh, it gave me, you know, every, all the feels, um, seeing those three Starks, um, you know, move in the same way, doing extremely different things, um, but framed in the way that they were framed as, you know, the last of the Starks, this is what they're doing. Um, uh, that was, you know, everything that I wanted. I, I think when we, we talked at the very beginning, the preview podcast, I, you know, I said something to the effect that like, Christ, I just wanted Arya and Sansa to live. And not only did they not, did they live, but they are hashtag thriving. Uh, and that, that did my heart good. Very good. And Arya becomes the next Dread Pirate Roberts. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it, it was, I mean, I always like looking at the maps of Westeros and seeing there's obviously a bunch of areas where we haven't seen anything. We, I mean, nobody, nobody's been to a shy, but there's also, I forget the, the area south of Westeros also, I forget what that's called. Sothorius. But, uh, yes, yeah. right. You know, I just got the Game of Thrones risk and that's on that. I could have just had it on my lap. But uh, it, it felt like a fitting. There were I, I I talked about it on Twitter, but the uh, scene of Arya leaving, basically, it almost looked like pretty shot for shot of like the the season four finale where she was headed to ASOS. Yep. Mm. Uh, you know, it, I I would have been satisfied if she'd ended up with Gendry because of the you know I can be your family line was adorable. Um, it you know it it really hit home the the theme that you know family. Not everybody gets to have strong blood ties, and Arya did get that, but she didn't at the time, and she could, you know, build something with Gendry. Uh, that was something maybe I don't know that that would have been a little awkward to pull off in that kind of episode. Not really. It's just interesting to think if we had had like three or four more episodes where like how characters like Gendry, who would have probably been needed to sort of fill some time, where they would have fit in. One thing I'm fascinated by with the finale is. I would say maybe aside from John, who gets to reunite with Tormund and Ghost, just how isolated everybody is in this, like in this entire, you know, last 10, 15 minutes, because, you know, you have the small council, you have a group of men plus Brienne who, you know, don't have much of a personal relationship to one another. You have Brienne filling out the, you know, yeah. the white book by herself, um, you know, say, there's no mention of Gilly in this entire episode. I think, you know, with, with Sam also, oh, Sam should be dead by now because he's broken like two different chastity vows that he, he probably made. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love Sam to death. I really do. But he, he broke some rules, you know, but maybe because he can under he can understand brand that. He get, he can get away with that. So that that's the uh, the real thing. Nepotism gets you to become the Grand Maester of Westeros. <laughs> yeah, he didn't finish. I mean, he clearly didn't finish his chain in that amount of time. He was at the you know he he was at the night he was at the Citadel long enough to learn how to rub some cream on Sir. Yeah, you he know, didn't graduate. Or, yeah. yeah, and and he he. He is a Night's Watch deserter. People always get mad at me for bringing up John killing the deserters, which we've talked about. Clint and I are going to do a, a whole podcast on that that topic. But um, just just we have Sam is he also a, a child, and like, I, yeah, it it and it's 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 something where you know obviously, I like I I, I said it on Twitter. I would have loved if 
Sam and John had shared a final moment right before John was leaving to go to Castle Black, where he said, you know, I'm going to miss you, buddy. Oh, by the way, I'm headed back to Castle Black. Do you want to come so we can go up there and behead you for desertion? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cake or death, right? (laughs) Obviously, that's not going to happen. But can can somebody have a... I mean, Ned, the show started off like... they made such a big moment you had theon there you had john there you had the stark kids there you had little baby bran and ned's like you know here's what we need to do we need to kill this deserter and then we have all these new deserters come by the end of the show it's like ah fuck it who cares maybe one line could we one line i do i i don't really care but yeah it's it's like a nitpick like i'm perfectly okay and and like i'm happy that he's happy because he seems to be all right although uh I don't know about about everyone. I kind of groaned at the whole, um, you know, Archmaester Ebrose's book being named "A Song of Ice and Fire." Uh, you know, I know we all joked about that online. I was like, I can't believe they actually did that. I can, but I, I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. Like, guy, guys, I know they had that no, Lord of the Rings, like the um, you know, like a Hobbit. They're back yeah. again, a Hobbit's Tale by Bilbo Baggins, and then Frodo writes the Lord of the Rings. I understand that. Lord of the Rings trilogy is sacred to me, but I don't know. It's something about Sam, you know, having that, and 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 then you know, again, you have Bran as the collective memory of Westeros, and then you have this book that kind of whitewashes stuff and might have Tyrion not in it at all, and you, you know, the same things over and over again. I actually like. Yeah, I actually liked that scene. Um, I mentioned War and Peace again, uh, or last week, but um, just just as a throwback to that, there's a large section where Tolstoy is really critical of historians <laughs> and just the way yeah. that history is written. It's kind of al- almost like almost like how Bran, I almost like how Bran, Rob, and John got elected. Somebody suggested something, and people kept building off that, and it doesn't. At, at a certain point, in history it doesn't really matter. Uh, the, uh, to to at least the mainstream historical account, what the really the firm uh, whole truth is, as long as like there's this version that enough people can go by. So to have one where Tyrion isn't even mentioned at all is uh, it's kind of, it's just kind of ironic from the fact that when history is written, they focus kind of on the big guys, and we think of Tyrion as a big guy. But if somebody writing it is just like, okay, this little character is not that significant i'm not gonna include him you know there's there's um people get cut for the sake of uh of a narrative especially in in more narrative non-fiction that's written it's it's just you know you can't have an account that has everybody or it's going to be a million pages long although that book looked a million pages long yes well i choose not to read that version sir and apparently when (laughs) well because apparently the story uh when People kept coming up to George R. R. Martin, you know, back in the day before David and Dan pitched Game of Thrones as a T, you know, a TV show. People wanted to make a movie out of it and they just wanted to narrow the story down to a very few characters. And George always said no. Yeah, for, uh, for good reason. So, you know, there's also. It would be a very I feel like Game of Thrones as a movie might not no, have no, worked no. as well. It's just. As a, as a starting movie, although like his uh, the the show Night Flyers, which was based off a of George R. R. Martin, either a novella or a short story. I want to say novella. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And they turned that into an eight-part series, and it was like the most boring thing on the planet. It's the one negative review that I have on my website that it has a majority comments of people basically sure. saying that I was right, which has got a, you know, normally when you write a bad review, people just dogpile. <laughs> ah, you didn't get it. Um, but that 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 would have worked as a movie. Game of Thrones definitely. Eight, eight seasons maybe wasn't enough. I think that's kind of the consensus opinion, isn't it? Yeah, especially these truncated seasons at the end. They didn't do themselves any favors. It's good that we keep using the word truncate because <laughs> I think it's always in my head because of the Roger Rabbit ride at Disneyland. <laughs> One of the characters says that. I like that word a lot. <laughs> or if it had to be eight seasons, maybe bump it up to ten episodes. Yeah. yeah. Well, HBO wanted that. Clint, you said that a couple of episodes ago. Uh, it's or maybe Thomas said it. I don't remember. Um, it, it was smart. It, it was definitely me. So, right. <laughs> well, didn't HBO say that? Didn't HBO say we will? Um, wasn't it D and D who decided to do the shorter episodes because they were kind of done? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Apparently, in 2016, when the the news that you know, final two se- seasons, 13 episodes, when that came out. They were saying that they had always imagined, and I'm paraphrasing here, imagined the series to be around 70 to 75 hours. So, you know, right now we have their word. Um, And I think at least in the immediateness of having experienced season eight and then everybody who did their rewatches beforehand, it was a move that did not work as well for the story as a whole, I think. When you know people watch the entire series in one go, it might land a little bit better. That's yeah. something that I'm curious to see when my life calms down a little bit and I kind of have enough space from Game of Thrones that I can kind of go and watch it for fun. <laughs> You're not diving back into season one tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> no, I am sleeping for like 20 hours. I, I, I've heard that. Just kidding. Uh, I've heard that that <laughs> quote from Dan and Dave that they originally uh, envisioned that this series was going to last 75 hours. And that's bullshit. There's no fucking way that's yeah. true. Because exactly. uh, I have watched the first four seasons of this show many, many times. And if they were envisioning that it would take 75 hours, they like showed absolutely no signs of that in the first four seasons. It was paced incredibly slowly. Everything was drawn out. There was a bunch of scenes that they, they just added in because they didn't have time. So like the notion that they like at the very beginning, they were like, "Mm, yep, 75 hours. That's right. That's nonsense. They, that's a, like, like they came up with that to justify why they decided to cut it short, which is fine. You know, like just say we, we got tired and, Kit wanted to go, you yeah. know, do something else. And, you know, that, that we just... We want to go make Star Wars. Right, yeah. Like, don't be like... Oh, you didn't want to do it anymore or give it to Brian Cogman. Yeah. I really wish they had let they had let him write more this season. I wish that had happened. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens with shows. Showrunners don't... Showrunners typically last a couple... I mean, I, I, I guess in sort of the era of, of peak TV, it's more common for the original showrunner to just maintain control forever. But... Plenty of shows, you do it for a couple of years, and it's grueling yeah. work. You hand it over to somebody else, and they do it. And and shows are typically better for that. But TV as a medium is not really about beginnings or ends. It's really about, you know, the middle and, and keeping that going until the time comes to start to wrap it up. And with Game of Thrones, it's hard because 
for a while they were going off the book material and then there came a certain point where they realized they had to pivot and then you had all that and season six there was a lot of condensing of the cast a lot of people died um i i it, it will be interesting to see how how people uh start to you know who who pick up the show now think of of seasons you know one through four versus yeah. the rest of them I think uh, as people keep making the Game of Thrones and Lost comparisons that, you know, with the way that Game of Thrones has ended, that a lot of people are reevaluating how they felt about Lost and what they think about how that show ended and kind of seeing it in a new light, even if they still don't really like what happened. Because, you know, you have a show that was, you know, that chose its character at characters over the plot at the very end and over the mysteries, whereas with the Game of Thrones, you have to that a show that sometimes not always, but sometimes chose the plot over the character. And I think that if time doesn't help us, you know, help the fandom heal and, you know, have help fans like kind of come to a new appreciation or, you know, they're just like sworn off or they'd hate it forever. I think another divisive TV show ending probably (laughs) might help. (laughs) That is a good point. That's true. That's a good point. Does anybody want to go uh, first for final thoughts? Um, I'll go first. Um, So I overall really, really loved this episode. Um, I thought, I think in retrospect, it was my second favorite episode of the season um, behind A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, which is perfect from start to finish um, in my view. But uh, I think that it'll be the one that I rewatched the most in in large part because I think it did hit those specific points for me that I was looking for. Um, and, you know, if I were somebody who were extraordinarily invested in Daenerys, um, I, I, I'm sure I would feel extraordinarily, like, much differently or extraordinarily invested in, in maybe some other characters that didn't get um, their full just due or or whatever, you know, George has planned for them. Um, but overall, I really, really liked this episode. I loved it. Um, and it was what I wanted out of the finale. Um, and so, you know, for that, I, I'm, I'm grateful. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I, I think that I, I totally get why people are pissed off. I totally get why they didn't like it. Um, but it didn't land for me the same way. So that, um, uh, yeah. I, um, think we are so blessed to have had the cast that we've had. I mean, these people are so incredibly talented. And I think given how frustrating the season has been, it's really been saved. It's been carried on the backs of the actors, I think, quite a bit. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like specifically when Tyrion found his siblings and he is the last Lannister effectively and just his open weeping about that. There wasn't even a single moment of dialogue in that sequence. And yet the entire Lannister storyline was communicated in just his sobbing and kind of uselessly picking up these bricks. And um, so I feel like it was a lot of moments like that for me where just really well rendered by the actors and by the production as well. So I, I don't know that it, I kind of backed off of it a little bit emotionally just because I didn't, I didn't want to feel the level of disappointment. I thought I would, if I really pin, if I really thought about what I was hoping for and I really, I enjoyed it and it was good. It really did feel, it it did have that magic of us being part of this incredible zeitgeist and cultural moment and having been a part of it since the very beginning 
and it really coming full circle. Like that sense of finality I thought was really well rendered as well. And I took, I liked that this was tying it up. Yeah. I would say overall, I liked, I didn't love the finale. I liked, you know, as a whole, I, you know, love certain parts of it. I liked other parts. There um parts that I didn't like at all. I think mainly how they, how the, the finale kind of handled the Danny situation. But, you know, it's like when I'm joking about how Sam should probably be executed for betraying his vows. It's, you know, it's, it's a small thing in the long run and it's, it's just a small piece in this overall show that should not exist. Like if you can even think about just early on some of the things that the show has accomplished. And I know that, you know, maybe it's cheating a little bit to think about Game of Thrones as a whole, you know, along with its ties to the finale, but there's just kind of this overall feeling. I personally, you know, can't separate the two. It's, you know, I don't regret this show, you know, watching the show at all. I know some people felt that way after watching last week's episode and seeing what had become of Danny. But I think that I, I know I'll be curious to see, you know, now that I know like all the pieces and kind of what I can pick up the second, the third time around the fourth time around, uh, I, you know, it's like, there's, I've seen worse finales. I've seen better finales. I think maybe as far as finales go, might be somewhere around the middle. And I know I'm going to be thinking for a very long time about how much of what we just saw, we might end up reading in a book someday. And that's going to like give me a lot of like nourishment in the long run as we, you know, quote unquote, you know, continue our watch for the next book whenever that should come out. And I will hold that watch because somebody has mm-hmm. to. It's a bittersweet moment. I, I, I agree with Michelle. I've seen better finales. I've seen worse. For a show to deliver a finale that I don't think, oh, well, that sucks. Uh, I, I consider that to be a plus because TV is a hard medium to land an ending in a in a season where they had so much to do they had two major battles that they had to have and they had to build up to those and then they had to end the show right after that so it was a it was an enormous achievement and it was an enormous task and i think they held up to that they this episode was a great this episode was a great couple um this was this episode gave us a couple of great chances to relive all those moments where we love these characters we're gonna miss them and it 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 for the for an episode like that to get that kind of emotion i think it it hit it on the nail i wish sansa had been named queen of the seven kingdoms uh i i think a lot of people well a lot of people wanted her to be dead but i think a lot of people, people that i bad. like wanted her to win so um you know yeah, those people are bad, and they're the same people who are still ragging on The Last Jedi, you know, two years later, get over it. Um, it's a good movie. Uh, you know, they, they, these kind of over-polar, these kind of overreactions that people have to, like, absolutely every piece of mainstream culture has kind of tapered the... It's just, it's so hard to think of what I actually would have wanted from a finale like this. And I'm excited that we get another chance to read it, about it in uh, that book called A Dream of Spring, which will come someday. And uh, I, I, 
we're, we'll certainly be excited. Michelle will be there to let everybody it's totally know. totally already written, guys. Didn't you hear? Uh, which are, oh, that's right. Sir Barristan. Sir Barristan. Ian, Ian McKernanery. I can't. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that last name. I just did, though. Um, anyway, to, to you know, wrap this up, uh, I before before we say where you, we can find all of our other guests, I just wanted to take a moment to you, the listener, to my fellow guests, to all the other guests who have come on over the past uh, six weeks or so. It's been a real pleasure to have these chats every week, to have all this new analysis that I hadn't even thought of. It really, it's a highlight of my week. It's been, my, this podcast, really, it was it was a race to get it started before the season and i had to learn all this crap that i'm still learning but uh it's been it's been a tremendous privilege to be able to uh have these kind of chats every single week and i thank everybody for coming on it's been uh it it, it warms my heart so thank you to everybody uh do we want to go around and say where we can find all of you guys sure um my name's Alexandra August. You can find me at ALX August on Twitter, and I write for Screen Rant, Comic Book Resources, and Fandom. I'm Michelle Jaworski. You can find my work at The Daily Dot, and you can find me on Twitter at M I C H E J A W. And I'm Clint. You can find me at lawsoficeandfire.com or on Westeros Law on Twitter or Clint W on Twitter. Um, and I'd like to thank, uh, thank Ian for having, uh, me and all of us on. It's been great. Well, a special shout out to Clint. Uh, I'm glad you went last. I just, um, if you listen to the show, Clint, Clint's been a mainstay. He's a tremendous help behind the scenes. Really, really carries us when, uh, it's difficult to put on a thing like this every week, but Clint's been there every step of the way and he's been a tremendous help. And, uh, I can't thank you enough and everybody else for coming on. It's thanks. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And awesome. So um, we will do a final wrap up uh, at some point, Clint and I, uh, of, of of the season, just to bookend. I do that with my written recaps and stuff. And uh, there will be there will be uh, more Game of Thrones content. But for now, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>